What does it really mean to pay your dues? Okay, so it's not a myth. It's an actuality, okay? So just let's use that example of what I was talking about where this is the, the early 90s, right? And there's no internet. There is internet. There's CopyServe. There's America Online where I would get online on, on my Commodore 64 and be in a chat room yeah. and there's a moderator looking to see what you're talking about, yeah. you know, yeah. back then. And you're calling on, you know, on, on your, on your phone, you know, with the, with the, with the signal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> so think about it. I'm here finding a list of record companies that are putting out dance music by going on, by looking at the vinyl records, right? Getting that mailing address, looking at billboard, reading magazines, figuring out who, who's who in the music business. And then, like I said, typing up a bio on a typewriter, making sure that it wasn't, you know, whited out, you know, making sure that it was perfect, right? Yeah. And then doing a photo shoot, dubbing cassettes, making sure the labels were perfect, and then mailing it out, and then having to wait two, three, four months for a response, negative or positive. In today's world, there are people that go out and they buy a Mac laptop. It comes with GarageBand. Yeah. Mac yeah. owns Logic. Yeah. So you know whatever if they give you a discount on on Logic, whatever whatever you're gonna use, Cubase, whatever. Now you go and you produce a track. You go to DistroKid, CD Baby, TuneCore, whatever it is, and you put the record out, and you have nobody A&R you. And telling you, hey, John Doe, your vocals are off. Uh, the 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 chords are off. The em. the vocals are <laughs> off, you know, on the sink. Roast them, Ruben. Roast them. Because you know I mean? <laughs> they be out there, And now that person thinks he's a superstar. And that person goes on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. You don't stop. And... <laughs> He, she, he heard the bars. He heard the bars. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, he, he or she thinks they're a superstar because they're on social media and social media is free. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yep. Now, now you get that same person that calls me out of nowhere and says, hey, I'm an up-and-coming artist. Um, would you work for me? Uh, you know, can you get me shows? So what's one of the first questions that I ask? What's your website? Uh, 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 my Facebook, my, no, no, no. What's your website? Uh, uh, I don't have a website. So you're not treating this as a business if you don't have a website. Mm, mm, you know what I mean? Mm, stop. And so, and so when we're talking about paying your dues, I'm talking about working on projects for free to get your name out there, to get that recognition, to let people know, Hey, I really want to do this. I'm hungry. Let me perfect my craft so that I can climb that ladder, you know. And that's what we did back in our day. Yeah. You know, when, when I was in show record pool, there were other record pools. There was RPBC, there was VIP, there was Starfleet, Ricketts, whatever. We were like gangs back then. Yo, you know? <laughs> everybody was a rival. <laughs> yeah, we, we were rivals and we had our jackets. And we wanted to make sure that we were the ones that broke records first. And we will have meetings, you know, in clubs. And 
you know, although there was, although there was a rivalry, there was also a unity uh. because, because we were all in this together, you know, where, you know, we're, we're playing records to the point where that program director would say, man, this record has a buzz, you know, I got to take a chance on this record. In today's world, everything being corporate, you got one program director working 10, 15, 20 stations. Word. You know what I mean? Word. And having a list of major labels and artists they're going to play. What happened to that little guy that lives in your community that deserves that shot, you know? And so that's part of paying your dues. Big shout out to everybody listening in, tuned in to QSJRadio.com. Today I have a special guest. His name is Ruben Martinez, CEO of Nene Music. Um, it's an artist management company, and it does a lot more than that. I am your host, Traffic, a.k.a. Dave Hernandez, whatever you guys want to call me. Today's guest is super special, especially because of you guys. You unsigned artists need to hear what really goes on in the business. Now, let me tell you, he's not here to tell you everything. He's here to tell you about what's going on with him, his team, and it's definitely his new uh, his, his his radio network that he got going on. But we do and we will have some information. Hopefully he wants to answer the, the information um, of what it is to be uh, a new artist in the industry. But first, before we get him on here, okay? Uh, Nana Music is an artist management con- uh, consultancy. Uh, my lisp is, is getting to me. Basically, the consult uh, consults firm that provides services for recording artists, production companies, celebrities, record labels, and sports entertainers. Uh, they provide consulting and overall campaign management for startup ventures, product release, and ongoing oversight of day-to-day operations. This can also be inclusive to artist development, record production, songwriting, artist management, label structure, independent marketing, and promotional services, radio promotion, street promotion, video production, publicity, digital distribution, etc. They've developed marketing plans uh, for artists, release schedules, and set up strategies, including pre-setup, work to influence trade uh, publications, radio stations, media outlets, social media campaigns, and fan club databases. Now, a little history, because I know he probably gets this question like, tell a little bit about yourself, right? Well, guess what? We're going to tell you a little bit about him, okay? Because I'm super proud to have this dude on here. His name, again, Ruben Martinez. He started off as a mobile DJ, all right? That's in high school. I think he went to high school in the Bronx, then he went to high yep. school in the Bronx. Okay, shout out to the BX, right? He produced his first national record in 1989, which is still today being used as a dance floor anthem. Okay, so this is some legendary um, thing right here. Okay, that same year, he met his musical father, the late 
Bobby Davis. We're going to talk about that later on because I know that's very, very significant to him. It allowed him to use it. Bobby allowed him to use his record studio and gave him his first shot. Um, Also, as a former writer, producer, and remixer, he has been blessed to work with artists such as Brandy, right? The R&B singer Brandy, Diana Ross, MC Light, Two in the Room, La Bouche. Like, these are names that some of y'all are probably like (laughs) Spotify in them right now, uh, to name a few. Um, From 1995 to 2000, he worked for two agencies at the same time, which was Pyramid Entertainment Group and Artists and Audience. Man, let me tell you something. Big shout out to everybody listening. Ruben, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Thanks for the intro. Man, I everything you. Yo, man, I'm 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 chilling. I'm chilling. I'm 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 trying to be where you at, but not really, because that that sounds like it was crazy to get there. <laughs> well, if you could see the gray hairs in my head. Shout you out know? to the Grays. I got a few, but it, you know, there yeah. was it wasn't those kids. It was my kids that did it. But anyways, so Ruben, uh, starting off as a group, uh, real to real, and then you you went into the to the music industry side, um, or or got caught up in the industry. What I want to know is how did you end up meeting Bobby Davis? Okay, so um, I had a little group in high school named Real to Real. And uh, where I messed up was, I never trademarked the name. Oh. So, so the the group Real to Real right now today is the Matt Stuntman that did, I like to move it, move it. Yeah, yeah. That is, that's Real to Real. But before he came out, I had a group in high school called Real to Real. It was a, a freestyle group out of, out of the Bronx. So... We ended up uh, working on on a few demos. Uh, back then, you had to shop your cassettes out. So think about it. You had to... Uh, cassettes. <laughs> Let's yeah. go. Let's yeah. go. Think, think about it. You had to type up a letter, and then, for the most part, on a typewriter, and then make photocopies of that letter and leave the dear, dear blank, Right? And then have a little bio, have a picture in there, which you see rocks so that the A&R guy can get get an idea of who you are. And then you had to mail out that cassette. And now you're pacing back and forth, wondering when you're going to get a call, you know, or when you're going to get something back in the mail saying, hey, we heard your record. We liked it. We didn't like it, et cetera, et cetera. So while I'm working on that and I'm, you know, I have this group with uh, with uh, uh, a gentleman named Manny Martinez, okay. who's actually who's actually my uncle. Uncle. Um, yeah, my uncle from my father's side. Uh, my father's father had kids after his first marriage, so this guy technically is my uncle. Wow. And then wow. another gentleman named named Julio de la Cruz, and Julio de la Cruz was a high school buddy. So. Julio actually had introduced me to a gentleman named Esteban Caterino who had these names are serious because I'm, yeah. I'm listening. I'm listening. Now. Yeah. So Esteban had equipment and um, in the South Bronx. And I remember we went to him to record our, our first demo. 
And as I'm recording these demos, I'm also a mobile DJ. So I'm performing weddings and Sweet 16, so on and so forth. And Esteban is the one that said, Ruben, you should be in a record pool. And I'm like, what is that? And he's like, yeah, that's a place where you go and you get the latest records that come out because you're buying all these records in the store, but you're going to get these records faster because the record labels send records to the record pool um, first. So it was through him that uh, I went to see Bobby Davis over at Show Record Pool. Okay. At the time, you had to audition to be in a record pool. You, you're, you're paying, it was $100 a month dues that you had to pay, and they wouldn't let you in unless you had a recommendation from either a club owner or somebody that uh, was involved in the music business or a producer, uh, A&R guy, so on and so forth. So I actually actually had to audition so I could get in. And so with the recommendation of, of a few industry people, then I was I was in. So we had a hundred members. When I joined, I was number ninety-eight. What the last oh my so god. Out of out of hundred, yeah. I was ninety-eight. But I worked my butt off. Every time I would go to get records, like we had bins where where the records would be, you know, would be placed. Yeah. And we're getting all types of records, R&B, hip hop, uh, dance. And the ones, number one, number two, number three, and so on and so forth. If a record label said 50 records, I'm 98. I'm not going to get wow. one, you know? So, so I had to push and push and make sure that whatever records I got, I did my feedback. I made sure to break records where, you know, if there's a record that, that I like, that I felt the audience would react to it, I would play that record two, three, four times a day. So, um, so by the time that the record went on radio, I already broke the record before yeah. it went on radio, okay. you know? So the story goes that, um, I go from 98 to 70 to 50 to 40 to 30, okay, so on and so forth. Eventually, I got to top five, you know, as mm. far as as far as the bins go. Yeah. So Bobby, and I'm getting chills. My hairs are standing up right now. So good, man. Yeah, I Bobby. As when he met me, he interviewed me, and. He said, you're going to go far in this business. And he took me under his wing. You know, I told him that I was doing recordings. And he said, guess what I have in that other room? And I said, what's that? He says, go ahead, go open the door. And it was a double door. So I pushed one door. And then I had to push another door because of the soundproofing. Yeah. And there, yeah. there was a gentleman in there named Rolando Maldonado. It was his engineer. And Bobby had a lot of equipment in there. And I came out, I'm like, wow, you know, the equipment that I have in my house or the equipment that Esteban had in his house wasn't, you know, what Bobby had. Yeah. So now it's like, how and when? He's like, you join the record pool, that's your studio. You just got to book the book. You just got to book the time with Misty. Misty was his assistant. You book the time with Misty. 
no money. You don't have to give me any money. You go, and all I expect for you to do is to give Short Record Pool credit because now mm. we're your family, mm. right? So I'm in there Fridays going in at 9 o'clock, coming out at 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, you know? Um, sometimes 1 in the afternoon, too, like to the point where Rolando was like, man, we got we to gotta take this up next week because I'm already burnt out, yeah. you know? So, so Bobby liked my production, and he said, hey, uh, Nene, I got a record that I want you to remix. So he played me the demo of Alexis P. Sutter, Get the Slam It Baby. Get the when, I, when I heard that record, I was like, oh, my God. Because it's a female who had a deep, raspy voice, and it sounded like a man. And so I did one of the remixes, and the label put the record out, and it became a classic where you had Merlin Bob, Timmy Regisford, um, all the guys from, from New York on BLS, you know, playing the record. I mean, when you hear your record being played at the shelter, yeah, you know, I mean, it's like, wow. You know what I mean? So we just had that bond where, you know, I, you know, till t- today, I still have my show record pull jacket. It looks like it's brand new, you know, and I make sure that I mention him as much as I can because he was, so influential in my life. One, he's one of the most influential people in my life because he didn't have to let me use his studio, and he didn't have to give me that opportunity to to do you know the, the you know that first remix. Yeah. From there, I got to meet other producers that were in the pool, and Bobby hooked up the remix with uh, Brandy, hooked up the remix with Diana Ross, you know, and and those records. I'm not credited on because it's one of those I have to pay my dues. Yeah, yeah. But when you hear the dance remix, the house remix of Baby Baby, that was me. You know? So, you know, as long as I know and it's on my discography, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. That's what what really counts. And so, and I I hear hear you mention something. which is an incredible backstory to to bringing it back fr- fresh out of the high school in into the studio and um and of course you know paying homage to Bobby all the time which is 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 a big deal but i hear something in there the pay your dues right what is this myth yeah. about the pay your dues what what do you call that what is was it was it really mean to pay your dues Okay, so it's not a myth. It's an actuality, okay? So just let's use that example of what I was talking about where this is the, the early 90s, right? And there's no internet. There is internet. There's CopyServe. There's America Online where I would get online on, on my Commodore 64, and be in a chat room, yeah. and there's a moderator looking to see what you're talking about. Yeah, you know, yeah. back then, and you're calling on, you know, on on your on your phone, you know, with the with the with the signal. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean, <laughs> so think about it. I'm here finding a list of record companies that are putting out dance music, 
by going on, by looking at the vinyl records, right, getting the mailing address, looking at Billboard, reading magazines, figuring out who, who's who in the music business. And then, like I said, typing up a bio on a typewriter, making sure that it wasn't, you know, whited out, you know, making sure that it was perfect, right? Yeah. And then doing a photo shoot, dubbing cassettes, making sure the labels were perfect, and then mailing it out, and then having to wait two, three, four months for a response, negative or positive. In today's world, there are people that go out and they buy a Mac laptop. It comes with GarageBand. Yeah. Mac yeah. owns Logic. Yeah. So you know whatever if they give you a discount on on Logic, whatever whatever you're gonna use, Cubase, whatever. Now you go and you produce a track. You go to DistroKid, CD Baby, Tunko, whatever it is, and you put the record out, and you have nobody ain't on you and telling you, hey, John Doe, your vocals are off. Uh. The, the, the chords are off. Yeah. The, the vocals are <laughs> off, you know, on the sink. Roast them, Ruben, roast them. You know what I mean? <laughs> there, they there's nobody out there, and now that person thinks he's a superstar, and that person goes on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, you don't stop, and... <laughs> He or she, <laughs> you heard the bars. You heard the bars. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. He or she thinks they're a superstar because they're on social media and social media is free. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yep. Now, now you get that same person that calls me out of nowhere and says, Hey, I'm an up and coming artist. Um, would you work for me? Uh, you know, can you get me shows? So what's one of the first questions that I ask? What's your website? Uh, 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 my Facebook, my, no, no, no. What's your website? Uh, uh, I don't have a website. So you're not treating this as a business if you don't have a website. Mm, mm, you know what I mean? Mm, stop. And so, and so when we're talking about paying your dues, I'm talking about working on projects for free to get your name out there, to get that recognition, to let people know, Hey, I really want to do this. I'm hungry. Let me perfect my craft so that I can climb that ladder, you know? And that's what we did back in our day. Yeah. You know, when, when I was in show record pool, there were other record pools. There was RPBC, there was VIP, there was Starfleet, Ricketts, whatever. We were like gangs back then. Yo, you know? <laughs> everybody was a rival. <laughs> yeah, we, we were rivals and we had our jackets. And we wanted to make sure that we were the ones that broke records first. And we will have meetings, you know, in clubs. And, you know, all there was, although there was a rivalry, there was also a unity. Ah. Because, because we were all in this together. You know, where, you know, we're, we're playing records to the point where that program director would say, man, this record has a buzz. You know, I got to take a chance on this record. In today's world, everything being corporate, you got one program director working 10, 15, 20 stations. Word. You know what I mean? Word. And having a list of major labels and artists they're going to play. What happened to that little guy that lives in your community that deserves that shot, you know? And so that's part of paying your dues. 
Big shout out to that. Shout out to everybody listening. If you just tuned in right now, got Ruben Martinez in the building, CEO of Nene Music and the Nene Network, Nene Music Network. You guys got to check that out, the podcast. It should be going into the thing. So then you go into something that I feel is the most difficult job in the music industry, and that is management. I am I am I missing this? Am I throwing this in my own face? Because I know that I had a f- a female friend, super pretty, got vocals, and then I was like, you know, I got a little bit of connections going on here. Let me just, you know, take her under my wing, and then you, you know, it's different, right? You deal with a different type of vibe. But for me, from mm-hmm. the ground up, I already could tell. Like, if she has a bad day, we're gonna have a bad productive day. Right. Right. And I'm not I'm I'm sure you probably deal with that as with with major people and major names and people don't yeah. really see that side because yeah. you know it's it's if it's if they're not on stage. But this started with um working with two agencies, right? They gave you the opportunity to ex- exclusively work with these legends. Listen to these legends, people. This is ridiculous. Gladys Knight, Guns and Roses. Cool, cool in the gang, Metallica, Nine Inch Nails. Like this is a whole mosh pit of of genres here. Uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band, Usher, Paul McCartney, bro. Who are you? Like, no, let me, let me, let me stop. I know who you are, but you know, just when did the management thing start for you, and 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 then you know move towards that. So, so the management thing started because. I was a wannabe artist. So when I had the group Real to Real, um, I was doing production, I was doing remixes, and a label in New York called Cutting Records, they had put out a freestyle record by uh, a guy named Nick Mendoza. Mm. And it was an instrumental track called Midi Boy. And previously to that record coming out on Cutting, Aldo Marin, who owns the label, he had put out an album called Two in a Room. And that album had Todd Terry, you know, some of the big house producers on that album. And there was no, there was, there was a guy named Dose who had done some vocals on some of the tracks. Okay. And so I had approached Aldo and said, hey, you like my group Real to Real? Sign us and let us become, instead of Real to Real, let us become the mini boys. And, and so I came up with that idea okay. because at the time the instrumentation was changing where when you went into the studio, you know, back then you were using a 24 track reel to reel on two inch tape. But now we're moving away from that and we're moving to the digital side and we're moving to the computers. And that's where MIDI came in. And so Aldo said, Hey, as long as you could talk to Nick and you could convince Nick to give you the name, then go ahead and do it. So I went and I called Nick and I, we went back and forth and he said, you know, go ahead, do it. So Aldo ended up signing us. Okay. We put out a record called Something Never Met. And I was one of the writers on, on the song. And we went into the studio. And the day that we, when I, that we went into the studio, Lady uh, Miss Keir is right next door from D-Light. Stop. D-Light is recording a record right next door. Right there. Right there. We were were at D&D Studios. Okay. So 
So it was three of us. So by this time, Julio de la Cruz wasn't in the group anymore. We had replaced him with a guy named Willem Padilla. And so we go into the studio and I go into the booth and what's coming out of my mouth is garbage. I'm cracking. I'm singing off key. The nervousness Cause it, not because what was going on next door? No, well, besides besides what was going on next door, it's it's now I'm in D and D studios where they have an SSL board and it's just like mm. super state of the art equipment. So it's like it's struck. It's like right, yeah, okay, right, right. So the producer of the record, Victor Franco, you know, he says, "Well, let's try one of the other guys." So Manny goes in there. Same thing. It's not working. Willie goes in there, same thing. Let us sing the song the way we're used to singing the song, which was in a harmony. Yeah. He didn't want that. He wanted a lead singer. So the session didn't really work out. And so Aldo wasn't happy with the performance. And he suggested adding another guy to the group. And that guy is uh, Eddie Vass. Oh. Yeah. So now... I say to myself, look, don't pretend. There's a guy out in the in the in the music industry named George Lamont. He's signed to Columbia Records. Damn. He's the cream of the top. Yep. And I said to myself, if I cannot be as good as he is, then I don't belong in the front. I belong in the back. Wow. So I ended up taking myself out of the equation and started so-called managing that group and then moving from there to working with other artists. And so where the booking agency came into fruition is that um, I had gone from doing the production, the remixing, the management to now in 1992, creating my own record company. So I'm producing uh, certain uh, groups, and I get a call from a guy named Marty, who told me, "Hey, you know, I want you to produce me. I heard some of your records, and I meet his godfather. wasn't really his godfather; it was more yeah, well, the godfather." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so okay. I met a gentleman named Michael Miracolo, who worked at the New York Times, and he was funding this guy named Marty. So. I'm producing Marty and, you know, Mike was asking me, what are the next steps? So I said, well, we got to shop this. Mm. So this is the process of how we got to shop or we could start our own label. And Michael said, we'll take a chance. So I ended up looking for office space. I found uh, a space in, uh, in uh, Lower Manhattan on 28th Street. I brought my buddy Esteban along. And so Michael, Esteban, and another friend named Lyndon, they were the financial people behind the label that once was International Bad Bad Boy Boy Records. Records. (laughs) So, again, another mistake, and this is why I say paying your dues. Yo, what the? What? It was like you were paying attention, but not paying attention, right? Yeah. So... So the mistake that I made again was that I never trademarked. I need you to say that again one more time. Yeah. The mistake that I made while I was paying my dues 
was that I never trademarked the name International Bad Boys. We're running this label for a year and a half. Yeah. All of a sudden, there's a guy named Sean Puffy Combs. Yep. Comes <laughs> out with Bad Boy Entertainment. Oh, man. Which is now distributed by a major. So it's like, I cannot use, although I'm using International Bad Boys with a Z, technically I cannot use Bad Boy because... You know, it's 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 it's, it's his it's, name now. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, so we run that label, and we're putting out different um, house records, and then we start a subsidiary of that label called Blunted Records. So that was the hip hop label that was under International Bad Boys. So I had signed a guy named Mo Crazy. Okay. I signed Tila Rock's brother Tony Tone. Okay. I signed another group called The Hoods that they were just like Wu-Tang Clan. They was uh, actually Dougie Fresh's nephews. They were um, they were from um, the X, right? They, they were they were from, I believe, Bronx or Brooklyn. Yeah, 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 you know? the hoods. Yeah, wow. so, so we're doing dance, we're doing hip-hop, and, um, and so now what's happening in New York radio is that New York radio stopped playing dance, dance music. They stopped playing freestyle and, and house music and now they went urban so that this is the birth of the original ktu which was on the dial in, in the 92 fm wow we're going back that's yeah 212 life <laughs> right so now we got ktu which is uh wqht yeah which is high 97 so now they're playing hip-hop records you know and back then my head was just on dance music. It was just on house music and freestyle music. It really, my heart really wasn't into hip hop. Okay. And, you know, we had a structure and, and a way of doing things. And I remember that I signed a record from two guys named the Vargas brothers. And I was hounding these guys for this house record they had done called El Trago. Okay. So I'm hounding these guys. I'm hounding these guys. They finally give in. They give me the record. I signed the record. And then Michael gets upset with me because he wanted to use the budget that I used on that record for another hip-hop record. Mm. So we argue. And again, another mistake that I made is that I told Michael, I believe in this record so much that you know I'm willing to leave. You know, so eventually I took my ball and I went home. Okay. Yeah, I know you described it like that. You basically were a sore loser, took your ball and went home. Yeah, so I took took my ball, I went home, and I started getting calls from Aldo at Cutting. I want that record. Those from Two in a Room, I want that record. The Vargas Brothers, the guys that produced the record. Yo, we should sign it to Cutting. So, went back and forth with Aldo on a deal. Signed the record to Cutting. The record goes gold. Whew. <laughs> okay. So, the record goes gold. And one of the deals that I made with Aldo was, I'm going to give you this record, but you're going to let me produce three tracks on the Two in a Room album. Mm. And he did. So, I ended up producing three tracks on the Two in a Room album. And so, again, I'm doing production, I'm doing remixes, I'm, 
doing records for Strictly Rhythm. I'm doing records with Todd Terry on, on Freeze After Dark, on Mic Mac, Cutting, blah, blah, blah. And now I get a call from, from a buddy and says, hey, um, how would you like to work at Pyramid Entertainment? Now, I was already working with them as a promoter because I would book acts from them. Okay. So now I get called in to work as an agent, the reverse, where before I was buying acts from them, and now I'm coming in to learn the craft and sell acts. Ruben, hold so, up, hold up. Before you get into that, because this is like when life changes again, right? Yeah. I did have a question about this this era because I know that you had this serious passion that was going on for almost a decade. Hip hop yeah. comes in and is basically like are you Puerto Rican? I'm half Puerto Rican, half Dominican. Okay, so you you a whole a whole New Yorker right there, right? Whole New Yorker, break dance, everything. <laughs> Boom. So what's what's really crazy is that even though even though it was the Mecca, the the start, whatever do you feel like at that time, because it was hip-hop, that there was a problem with changing? Because a lot of people do that now, right? They all want to sound yeah. similar, and a lot of yeah. the old heads are getting yeah. mad at that. Do you feel like yeah. you had that at that time? One thousand percent. Mm. You have to think about the groups that were out at that time, you know, where you had... Uh, Tila Rock and and uh, Curtis Blow and those type of groups and now hip hop starts changing where it starts changing to gangster rap, right? Yeah. So yeah. what used to be happy and fun, you know, Roxanne Chante and Dougie Fresh, you know, and people like that, now it's turning into the cocaine and the drugs and the money and the whole street element of it. And so that brought me down, you know? Um, and so I, you know, when you're working on dance music, for the most part, it's songs about love or their party records. Yeah. Now you got groups that are talking about, you know, shooting you and the drugs and so on and so forth. Womanizing so, all yeah, that. You know. It was crazy. It was crazy when yeah. hip hop first came out. And, 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 and I bring right. that up because a lot of people don't understand that transition from what hip hop was to what it became was actually yeah. annoying. It was actually yeah. very, very hard. Now the streets got it. And then right. it took like, for me, at least I, I know about a, a lot of people are probably going to disagree, but it took about two or three years to get used to listening to hip hop that yeah. much because it always was a, a, an underground thing, especially that right. kind of hip hop. Right, and then when right. you are trying to get these guys who have commercial records ready for big radio, then all of yeah. a sudden the underground is taking over, and exactly. you're like, "Yo, I just worked my whole fucking life for this." Yeah, yeah. So it's crazy. So so I come into Pyramid as an assistant again, okay. paying yeah. your dues. Shout to so you telling me? Listen, I'm telling you the reason I'm saying this over and over again is because. My audience are talking as if they know the industry. When yeah. I'm my boy right here is literally the beginning of the industry and has seen it transform. And of course, you had to change up over time and and get yeah. used to certain things. And the paying your dues 
is basically you're not paying nothing but your time. Yeah. Your free time. So you're telling me you work for a major management company for free for or for no, free. No, 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 for free. I came in, I okay. came in, it was an agency, it wasn't a management company, it was an agency. So I when I interviewed with the owner Sal Michaels, okay, um, it was it was for me to interview in the dance department. So I was gonna be working under a guy named Michael Schwager. Okay. And Mike was the guy that I was to book talent from. So if I was doing a freestyle show at a at a catering hall or a little club somewhere, I would call Michael or another guy named Mark Katz who was over at over at Famous Artists, and I will deal with those guys to book talent from them. So now I'm coming in so that I can become an assistant and then turn into an agent. So mm. I'm going to mention this part because it's very important. Uh, when I interview with Sal Michaels, uh, Michael Schrager is sitting right next to me. What? And they tell me to close the door and they go through my history. You know, what have you done? And I'm a producer and I'm a songwriter and I'm a remixer and I used to own a record company. And so the, this is one of the key questions. Sal Michaels asked me, hey, kid, and, and I still talk to Sal today. We, you know, we actually worked on a, on a tour uh, before COVID. Um, I was, we're still working on it now, actually. Um, and Sal asked me, hey, kid, where do you see yourself in five years? Mm. I don't know what got into my head, but I said, I'm going to have his job in three. No, I'm sorry. I'm going to have his job in five. That's a no-no because I just threw the guy under the bus. Word. You know, not thinking about it. I'm, I'm, I'm talking, but I'm not listening to myself. I'm talking, and I should have said something like, oh, yeah, well, I'm looking for a higher position, blah, blah, blah. But I actually went and said, I'm going to have his job. And the funny thing is that I had his job in three and a half years. Yo. And it's because I'm not throwing Michael under the bus. It's because Michael and Sal had a falling out and Michael wanted to start mm. his own company. And I had already bought in to Pyramid. Um, not only was I bringing in dance acts, but I also developed the Latin department because we were booking R&B, hip hop and dance music. Now, I'm the one that brings in Latin music. I'm the one that goes and signs Elvis Crespo. Yo. Okay? I'm the one that goes and, and says, hey, Sal, how do you feel about pro wrestling? Do what you want, kid. And I bring pro wrestling. And I'm doing pro wrestling shows. You know? Wait, wait so how did what, what? Like, oh, my God. Yo, big shout out to everybody listening. If you just tuned in, we got Ruben Martinez in the building. We're talking about right now how he was uh, working in two agencies. And one. One, one at this time. And, and, and how he changed the format over there from what they were booking regularly, which R&B, dance, and, and, and what else? Hip-hop. And hip-hop. And, and then you bring, and and then you bring and everybody. And then you start bringing everybody. Right. What made and you, I'm, oh my God. I'm, and I'm Hispanic, so it's like, 
Why are we booking Latin X? For real. Like bring that shit, right? Right. So so I go and I I go and I sign Elvis Crespo. Elvis Crespo. Who at the time was performing in clubs and he's getting ten, fifteen thousand dollars a show. And I worked closely with his manager at the time, Wilson Sanchez, and we take Elvis from fifteen to thirty to forty-five to sixty. Sixty thousand dollar acts. Like you cannot book them unless you got sixty. Wow. So so again, same thing with the with the pro wrestling where, you know, I'm watching WWF at the time, right? Everybody. And I'm saying, well, who trained this guy? Who trained that guy? It so happens that the guy that trained a lot of the wrestlers was in Brooklyn, a guy by the name of Johnny Ross. So I called Johnny. Hey, Johnny, uh, my name is Ruben Martinez, blah, blah, blah. Are you available to have a meeting? I go to him. I present him with Pyramid. This is what we do, blah, blah, blah. Let's go to work. Wow. Now I'm calling up clubs and asking the clubs, how tall is your ceiling? Oh, it's 30 feet. Good. We could do a pro wrestling show there. What? You know? Yeah. And so and so it goes from there. So so I'm in the beginning of, of, of my career at Pyramid, I'm working as an assistant and receptionist. Okay? Where you, you take know, it, you're when, taking the when, money and taking the yeah, yeah, when when it's the receptionist time to go to lunch, I'm the one manning the phone when you're when you're calling. Yeah. And yeah. you got, you know, promoters that are calling and they hear me and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's my turn to answer the phone. So I'll call you back in 30 minutes, whatever it is. You know what I mean? But, but the point is that I pay my dues and I, and I worked hard so that I became an agent. And the beauty of that was that every six months, Sal gave me a raise. Wow. Without asking for it, Ruben, in my office, lock the door. Looking at his paperwork. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what? what's up? What are you thinking about? Blah, blah, blah. Um, okay. Is that all, Sal? No. What else? I'm giving you a raise. You know? So, again, another person that, that's dear to my heart. Sal Michaels, his wife, Virginia, you know. Um, so now I'm, I'm there at Pyramid. Yeah. And what happened, uh, the reason for my departure was that I'm there and I was married to, to a recording artist. Yeah, uh, Amber, Amber, right? Correct, yeah. Yeah. So we're making a lot of money and, and, and a lot of my attention is on her besides the other acts that I represent. A lot of my attention is on her. And what happened now is that Peter Sykes, Fred Hansen, and another gentleman named Carlos, they had left, period, without telling Sal. Wow. It was one of those things where on a Friday night, they packed up all their stuff and they left. And then one of the agents that was still working, you know, in her back office, she's looking at what's going on and she ends up calling Sal and Sal's in Long Island when we're in Manhattan. And so Sal calls an emergency meeting on the, on a Saturday. Yeah. 
and I already had made plans. Oh. And I said, Sal, can we catch up on Monday? And so when I caught up with him on Monday, he's like, well, I want to make you the vice president, blah, blah, blah. And I said, Sal, with all due respect, I think it's my time. You know, I don't know what these other guys are doing. You know, I don't know what they're doing. It has nothing to do with me. But I think it's my time to start my own shop. You know, uh-huh. I need your I need your blessing. And he gave me his blessing and I started my own my own shop. So now I'm doing my own bookings under Nene Music. And maybe about six months later, I get a call from Peter Sykes, who's now at Artisan Artisan Audience. And Peter and me, we were tight. You know, he was the president at Pyramid. And we were tight. I bought my house in upstate New York because of him, because I used to live in the Bronx. Okay. So because of him, to be closer to him, to go shopping and, you know, and to vibe with the president so that I could learn from him because yeah. he's the agent. He was the agent for new kids on, uh, not new kids on the block. I'm sorry. Uh, Vanilla Ice yeah, oh. and, and, and a lot of the big groups at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so I'm learning from him. I'm learning from Fred. I'm learning from Elise. And then by the time that he calls me into, to artists and audience. So, I said, let me look at their roster. And I'm looking at their roster, and they got Guns N' Roses. They got Metallica. They got Paul McCartney. And I said, you know what? Let me go. Yo, let me was go there a there. list somewhere? Was there a list somewhere? Yeah. Like, what yeah, was... let, me go, let me go in there, <laughs> and I'll bring another element to them because they're mainly booking rock. And when Peter came in, Peter brought in the hip-hop and R&B. Fred brought in the jazz. Okay? And so now I get to bring in the dance the Latin and the pro wrestling into artists and audience. Now, the guy that was the owner of artists and audience, Alex Cochin, that guy was a sweetheart because this guy was like six, four motorcycle rider. You know, it was like, it was like, Sal Michaels was the, and is the, the, the chic dressed, you know, with the military attitude because he was in the military, whereas Alex was more like laid back, sitting on his desk with his feet up, you know, you know, talking <laughs> on the phone, riding his motorcycle, coming in with a motorcycle jacket, you know. And so it was such a great vibe working there. It was a, a lady named Lori Michaels, another lady named Debbie. Um, you know, good good vibes there. And you know, um Alex was thinking of of moving and again I said you know what it's not going to be the same yeah. so I'm going to I'm going to just concentrate on on Nene music and so from the year 2000 to today Nene music is still you know rocking and rolling and I I tell people that 90% of my acts have followed me 